Our great pleasure now to welcome Nick, our new lead pastor, as he leads us into God's Word this morning. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thank you, Donna. That was awesome. I loved hearing those words about the power of fathers. Happy Father's Day. Um, good morning. It is great to be with you. If this is your first Sunday here with us, me too. Um, so, <laughs> not actually my first Sunday here, but it's my first Sunday here. So um, we, can, we can bond later over that. Listen, we are in a series that selfishly has been really meaningful to me as we've looked at this this section of scripture and, and these psalms of ascent, the songs that God's people sang when they were on a journey, when they were in sort of this in-between place, it happened to coincide with my family very much being in an in-between place. Literally, some of our things are here and some of our things are in Indiana. Um, one of our people is here and the rest of us are in the end. We're literally in two places at once. And so selfishly, this has been really good for my heart is I have been navigating this in-between space of where we've been and where God is leading us. And, and I don't know how you deal with change. There's a lot of different people. Um, there's a spectrum of us. I am not someone who deals with change in a flexible, open-handed way. I really like to plan and be in control. It's just sort of who I am. My wife is the same way. And so there's like two of us with that energy and it's been challenging. <laughs> and so I don't know where you're at. I don't know what in-between space you're in personally. I know corporately we're in this in-between space of a transition of leadership in the role of lead pastor. And so as we're doing that together, it's been really powerful to see what God is teaching us in these in-between spaces. Specifically this week was funny that Steve asked me to do because it's right in a strike zone of an area I struggle with, if I can be vulnerable. And this week we're looking at this song of ascent in Psalm 125 that is primarily centered around the idea of how we trust in the Lord. Okay, and so broken home, single mom, um, trust issues are deep in my heart for many, many reasons. And, and often as I am following the Lord, those trust issues tend to surface. And maybe if you're like me, those in-between spaces tend to surface those trust issues more quickly than when things are smooth. And I think that's probably true of the majority of God's people. And that's why this is such a powerful psalm. And so here's the big idea today. Um, then we'll jump in, right? The big idea today is God leads his people into the wilderness to teach them that he is trustworthy. God wants to teach his people that he is a trustworthy father. And often we learn those lessons in places of challenge or difficulty or transition because those are the seasons and the times that we clearly see how God is moving us into a place where we understand that he is trustworthy. And so we're gonna be in Psalm 125. If you wanna turn there, there's really three sections or three acts in this Psalm. They're gonna unfold how God shows us that he is trustworthy. Now keep in mind, this would have been read or sung on the way on a pilgrimage to the temple to worship the Lord. And so get this picture in your head of God's people preparing to center their hearts on who God is, 
on why they worshiped him and on what he has done for them. And I think that's a good place for us to explore as we try to anchor our hearts in that same posture of who is God? Why do we worship him? And what does that mean for us? And so let's just do the first part, okay? The first part is a call. This psalm opens with a call. It says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And so this opens with this really clear call of why God is trustworthy. We see these two main attributes of God in a word picture. We see that God brings his people stability and God brings his people protection. And so that first picture is those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Mount Zion was the temple mount. And it was this picture that communicated an idea to God's people in the Old Testament. It represented the presence of God and the holiness of God. It represented the promises of God. It was the center, the geographic center of how they worshiped the Lord. And so this picture that they're getting is that the people who trust in the Lord have these characteristics of the presence of the Lord that was manifest in Mount Zion. It was permanent. It wasn't moved. It was secure. It was solid. That's what God's people were like when they trusted him as they weren't moved. God brought his people stability. Then the metaphor switches and it goes into how God surrounds his people like the mountains surrounded Jerusalem. Listen, um, Old Testament was pre-Wright brothers. And so when there was conflict, they weren't really worried about airplanes. And so mountains were actually a huge advantage defensively. They communicated physical protection from danger because it was very, very difficult to attack a place that was surrounded by mountains. And so as the people were singing these songs, they could picture the way that the mountains surrounded Jerusalem. And it was very intuitive to them to hear and understand that as those mountains gave them a sense of security and protection, God did the same for his people. And so listen, listen, this is an important call for us because let's be honest, when we are in the middle of difficulty, we start to question those two realities, don't we? When we're on a journey that is not easy, we can even start to question, is God going to protect me? What about that time that I didn't feel like he protected me? What about when those people betrayed me? What about when things didn't work out? What about when he didn't heal? God didn't protect me. Is God trustworthy? Because I don't feel unmoved. I don't know, again, spectrum of how we handle change and stress. I rarely feel unmoved in the middle of stress, right? Like I tend to move all over the place based on my comfort level and my circumstances. And that stands in direct opposition to this call. And this call is a reminder for our hearts because listen, when things aren't going well, we forget the promises and the character of God. And I think a lot of that is sideways expectation. Um, I know for us, like we just almost have this expectation that if God is really trustworthy, that means things will be smooth, right? And I don't know if that's like an American thing. I don't know if that's a cultural, I don't know where it comes from, but, but we almost just have this reflex of, oh, well, if God is trustworthy and gonna protect me, life's gonna be easy. And as soon as it's not, that means that somebody broke the deal that I made with God, that he never made with us, by the way. Um, that God, if I follow you, you're just gonna keep everything smooth and comfortable. And when that happens, everything's good. 
When that doesn't happen, now I have an issue with God. What happened? This was not the deal. <laughs> Why is this hard? You're supposed to be protected. Listen, I'm going to be really honest with you. The last two weeks um, as we've been trying to move, literally nothing has worked. Like everything that could go wrong almost has gone wrong on our end in Indiana. Now, the Atlanta end of everything, can I say Atlanta? Is it, do I need to be more specific and say Roswell, Atlanta metro area? I don't know. Is that offensive? Okay. Um, the Atlanta end of that has been incredible. Everything has been wonderful, but it's like Terre Haute just has its claws in us and won't let us leave. And so um, as we were preparing to sell our house, that's always an emotional process for my wife. She loves design in homes, went to school, is educated in that as a background and just loves our home. Um, it's a 1922 brick colonial and it just, she has a connection with this home. And so it was already gonna be hard for her to sell it, but we were like, you know what? At least it's a seller's market. This is the easy part. Finding a place might be tricky because the, um, the market in Atlanta to find a place is robust. And so we're like, you know, it's going to be easy to sell. It's going to be easy to sell. Thank you, God. Um, we had somebody come and see it before it went on market, made a full price offer. Everything was good. Then the inspection happened. <laughs> I literally, we were down here to celebrate Matt and Becky and had an amazing time. We got home. There was the inspection. And that's when things started to unravel. Now, there were no major issues, but we got back a 12-page request from the people that are buying. We haven't closed, and so if we just want to edit this part out when we throw it online. Um, <laughs> 12 page, like 12 pages of, of these repairs, and they wanted like five grand. And I was like, $5,000 is a lot of money. It's like a tank and a half of gas. Like, God, what are you doing? <laughs> right? What are you doing? This was supposed to be easy. We're like, do we just put it back on the market? And our, our rental house here was contingent on that closing. And so we're like, do we put it on the market and just roll the dice? And, you know, maybe we can, our storage unit actually was very nice. So we could live in there, save some money. And so like, well, we don't know. This was already difficult. This was supposed to be easy. And it just wasn't. Our kids have had an emotional roller coaster of ending school and their feelings. And everything for the past two weeks has been really difficult. And if you're like me, those are the moments where we need this call to cling to because everything in us wants to doubt the goodness of God when life isn't convenient, right? Now you'll notice the text says that those who trust in the Lord won't be moved. It doesn't say they won't be challenged. It doesn't say they won't suffer. It doesn't say there won't be problems. Actually, when you zoom out and read the totality of scripture from the beginning all the way into the teachings of Jesus and into Revelation, there's actually an expectation of challenge and suffering. That, that's, that's not, our deal with God isn't that everything's easy. It's when that suffering comes, our hearts need this call. We need this call, and so when we worship, that's why the songs that we sing matter, right? Because we are amplifying these realities of who God is that can be obscured by our frustration, by circumstances, by just the world being broken and sinful, and we need this reminder, we need this call that those who trust in the Lord are not moved, and here's why. Because at the end of the day, God is transcendent of our circumstances. Okay, God is transcendent of what we can lose. We can be moved financially. Guys looked at the Bitcoin sell-off recently. That doesn't seem like as good of an idea as it was a few months ago now. Um, like our finances can be moved, okay? Um, our relationships with people can be moved. We don't have as much control over our lives as we'd like to think we do. Our jobs can be moved, 
right? Like our health can be moved. Here's what can't be moved is the promise that God has given us. Because listen, listen, the promises of God, what we trust in him for are ultimately what he has done for us eternally. The life and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is the foundation of our relationship with God. And that can't ever be taken away. That's why Paul can write just crazy stuff in the New Testament. Like, I can have money or not have money. I don't care. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm like, God, I need, I'm going to need, I'm gonna need um, some comfort if I'm going to follow you well. And Paul's like, it doesn't matter what happens. I'll be good. The only way we can really get to that point is when we understand that we're not moved when we trust in God because what we are trusting him to do can't be taken away by anything that goes wrong here on earth. But man, it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember. And so this Psalm opens with this really clear call to God's people that reminds us that God brings us stability and God brings us protection. Now, part two, part two, right? So as we move from part one into part two, we see that there is also a warning. And here's why. We actually, we need this warning because you and I are not trustworthy arbiters of what God's protection looks like in our life, right? We're just not. We like to think we are. And and as we approach these scenarios, whatever that might be, whatever journey you might be on, we can tend to think that we're going to define for God what his protection and provision looks like. Like, God, I know what I need, and, and this is what it means. And look, sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're not. And we get this. Like, if you ever watch parents and their kids, this makes total sense. Um, my son is not a trustworthy arbiter of what is best for him. Specifically, my youngest, Sawyer, um, like all kids like dessert, right? Like that's, this, this is beyond that with him. So like chocolate specifically does something to him on a deep soul level. Um, the joy that that brings him is significant. He loves chocolate. He loves to bake and get, I mean, just, he loves everything about the process of dessert. Okay. And so here's this other thing that happens with Sawyer. He has pediatric migraines. And one of the triggers for that is having a lot of sugar. If he has too much, his head hurts. He throws up everywhere, um, which has happened in some fun places, by the way. Um, And he really is just miserable for a good four or five hours. So listen, there are times that we go to Sawyer and we say, hey, you cannot have any more chocolate. Nothing in him in that moment feels like we're providing for him. Nothing in him feels like we are for him or for his joy or for his health and vitality. He's just mad that mom and dad aren't giving him what he wants. Sometimes we do that with God, right? Sometimes we're not trustworthy arbiters of what his protection looks like in our lives. And so this warning is really important because it reminds us of how this tension we live in when, when things don't go the way that we want can play out in a negative way. And so let's jump into this warning that God's people have. In verse three, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest or unless is a, is a more modern way to say that, the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. So what does that mean? What does that mean? So the scepter of wickedness is really a picture of an evil king or a bad ruler, someone that's gonna oppress and do damage to God's people. He's saying, God, this is saying that won't happen unless God's people reach out their hands and do wrong. 
Another way of saying that. Unless God's people do what God told them not to, evil's not gonna reign over the land. So let's unpack what that looked like for them. If you know the history of God's people, it is, um, it's colorful with some mixed results in terms of their obedience. And so invariably what would happen is God made a deal with his people. It's a covenant. He said, I will be your God and you'll be my people. If you'll keep my commandments, it will go well with you in the land and I will bless you and multiply your kingdom. And they did okay at that for some stretches. And then there would be other times where that agreement would fall apart. And God was never the one that broke that deal. And so invariably, here's where this would break down. God's people would stretch out their hands and do wrong when they didn't trust the Lord. Well, how do you know they weren't trusting the Lord? Here's why. They weren't being obedient to him. Our obedience to God does not save us. It does not win us favor with him. Everything that we have from the Lord comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the faith we have in him, right? Okay, but listen, our obedience to God is an overflow and outworking of how we're trusting him. And what would happen to God's people in everything in the Old Testament that you read in terms of God's relationship to his people is almost always through a governmental or geopolitical lens, almost always, because the primary covenant they had with him was around the nation of Israel. And so what would happen is God's people would be in a jam and they would be in a tough spot and they'd say, we don't think God's way is working. We need to try something else. Like from the beginning, God said, don't have a king. They said, no, we need a king like everybody else. They had a king. Saul was the king. He was going into a battle. Only the priests could go into the temple and make a sacrifice so God would bless. And Saul said, we don't have time for that. I need to do it myself. It did not go well for him. It wouldn't rain. They wouldn't worship and trust God. They would start to grab all the different gods of the people around them and say, just in case our God might not be the most effective, we need to try this. He would say, hey, don't marry foreign women. They will lead you into idols. And they would say, well, I don't know. I'm not really happy in my current marriage. We need these foreign women. They look good. Have you seen them? We need to try that. It would go bad for them. They would get sucked into idolatry. And over and over and over again, the Assyrians or the Babylonians would be threatening them. And they would say, instead of trusting God, we need to go make a deal with Egypt. And what would happen is geopolitical pragmatism trumped the morality and obedience that they had been called to, right? And so what would happen is God's people would be in this position where they had an opportunity to trust God or fix it themselves. And when they would try to fix it themselves, there was a wake that followed that was incredibly damaging. Because you'll notice, this doesn't say that an individual would have a hard time. This says the scepter of wickedness would not stretch out over the land unless the righteous did wrong. So when they wouldn't trust God, it didn't just affect them. It actually affected their entire nation. And so there's this warning that when we don't trust God and when we're disobedient, the, the wake that comes behind that is actually incredibly damaging. And so for me, um, like the last two weeks, I'd love to tell you that I trusted God really well. Um, but listen, for me, when I don't trust God, I tend to operate out of two emotions, um, fear and anger, right? Like those are just my defaults. And so here's what happens when I'm not trusting the Lord well. I start to wanna fix it myself. And when I wanna fix it myself, I just turn pragmatic. Like I just need to get this to work. And so for me, when I need to get something to work, I get very fearful and angry about the consequences that could happen if it doesn't work. I'm a worst case scenario person. If this doesn't work, then like at one point, my, my stress spiral, I was telling Kaylee, what happens if we can't sell the house and then something doesn't work out in the church is mine, I can't come down there and we're homeless. And she's like, how did you get from, 
How did you get from inspection repairs to homeless in three sentences? She's like, that doesn't even make sense. You sound crazy right now. I said, I am crazy. I said, I'm crazy motivated to close this deal. And so like, does that, does that happen for you? And so here's the deal. I am tempted in that moment to just do it my way. And when I wanna do it my way, rarely am I reflecting the love, grace, and goodness of God to the people around me because I just want them to do what I say, right? And I don't know, maybe that's different for you. Maybe that can bend a little bit differently. But generally, when we're operating out of a place of fear and not a place of trust, we're gonna stretch out our hand towards wickedness. We're saying, God, your way doesn't work. God, your way doesn't work. You're taking too long. And I don't know, like I said, maybe, maybe that's in finances. Like, God, my finances are tight and your way is not working. I'm going to be a little shady with the books at work. I'm going to skim a little bit off the top. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that I know is immoral, but the ends justify the means. Machiavelli had some good ideas. Okay, I'm not going to wait for you. I need this money. And if you're not going to provide it, I'll do it. Man, our relationships. God, the way you've called me to handle sex, that's not working for me. It's not happening in my marriage the way I want it to, so I need to go outside my marriage to find it. Or I don't want to wait for marriage, I just want it now. My mar- I'm not happy in my marriage. I need to go find somebody that's going to make me happy. Because if I go to somebody else, then everything that I am bringing into the relationship will magically be fixed by this new person. So God, I forget what you said about marriage. It's not working for me. My marriage is hard. I'm done. God, forget what you've called me to do with my life. That doesn't feel like it's gonna work out. It's taking too long. It's not making me like, forget the calling you, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And listen, when we do that, this warning isn't that God is gonna hate us or forsake us. It's that when you do that, there's going to be consequences that are damaging to you and the people around you. And God would say to us that when we try it our way, He's not telling us no because he wants to punish us. It's just because he knows what's good for us. Go back to those two hallmark pillars of his character in that call. God wants us to be unmoved and stable, and he wants us to be protected. And sometimes we don't understand and we don't like and we're not comfortable, but God's saying it's better if you'll just trust me. And listen, the wilderness is a learning time because when we're in a transitory place, when we're in um, uncertainty, when we're in difficulty, those idols that we want to run to, right? Like we're not doing what the ancient Israelites did, like building statues and sacrificing, probably. I haven't been here that long. I'm assuming no. Um, I mean, listen, Terre Haute's pretty rural. There's some places that still happens. I'm kidding. (laughs) Kidding. There's probably people watching this that aren't happy with me now back there. Um, We're probably not doing that, but there are idols we run to. There's our own ways that we grab and we say, God, I don't trust you, but I trust this. And a lot of times those wilderness experiences are when those idols tend to pop to the surface and we have an opportunity to realize them. Listen, I know for me, I had to sit down last week and be like, okay, listen, this is a few thousand dollars. This isn't, this isn't that big a deal. Like in the grand scheme of things, what I am getting stressed out about just doesn't matter. Like God's called us somewhere. He's blessed us with a place that we can't wait to be. He has overwhelmed us with his goodness. Why is money ruining my day? Oh, oh, maybe, maybe my, my security is found in my bank account balance, right? Not that I need to go buy all this stuff, but the bigger that number is, the more secure I am. Hmm, maybe there's some security issues that I have. Maybe that's a bit of an idol for me. 
Hmm. Why, why is it that I have no patience with my children when I'm stressed out? Oh, maybe I'm selfish when, when I'm stressed. Maybe when I am so absorbed with what's going to make me happy, I'm being disobedient to how God has called me to care and shepherd my kids. Oh man, when I am self-absorbed with my comfort, I'm not thinking through the call that God's put on my life to shepherd a church and be thoughtful about what's happening there because I can't see past my own discomfort. Maybe there's some idols that I need to repent and turn away from. We don't often have those realizations when everything's going smoothly, right? We just don't. And so in those wilderness periods, God allows some of those areas that we want to trust instead of him to come to light so we can repent and say, oh, hey, this isn't good. Oh, man, I'm operating out of a source of shame and wanting to hide. Or, oh, I'm operating out of a place of fear. I'm not operating out of who God is. I'm operating about what I want right now, and that's not good for me. I need to stop. And unfortunately, we don't always learn those when life's easy. We learn it when it's uncomfortable. And in that discomfort, God gives us this warning, be careful, be careful. When we stretch out our hands and do it our way, the consequences aren't good. And God wants to save us from that. So we have this call. We have this warning. This is where I think we find the joy of what it means to follow Jesus. It's in this rescue. And as we do that, can I see the clock up here? I just want to make sure there was a clock up here earlier and now there's not and I'm wishing I'd have brought my phone. I'm just pulling the curtain back for you guys a little bit right now. I have no idea what time it is. Um, what time is it? Perfect. I love it. Okay. Um, so listen, we have this call and we have this warning. This, this is why this is so important, is the rescue that we see in verse four. He says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evil doers. Peace be upon Israel. And this is great news. But if you're like me, the first time you read that, that doesn't feel like great news. The first time you read this, this is discouraging. Because you read this says, oh, they're praying that God's going to do good to those who are upright in their hearts. Dang it, that's not me. That's not me. I'm out. Um, so growing up for me, I was always kind of a difficult kid. Um, some of that was from, from some kind of family baggage. Some of that was just rough edges of my personality. I remember always feeling sort of like the black sheep or the bad kid that couldn't do it right. Like, oh, he's the one with anger issues. Oh, he's the one with dad issues. Oh, he, he's the one that just really has a hard time being nice to people. And so when I would approach passages like this, it was very discouraging because it felt like this was God's promise, but it wasn't for me, that I was exempt from this. Oh, I'm, I'm not good because I messed up and sinned. I'm not good because I don't fit in the way I'd like to. I'm not good because I felt like I was rejected from this group of people. So I would approach these passages and see, man, I wish that was me. And I think on some level, especially when we're in difficulty, we're confronted with that first verse. Like, man, yeah, God does save the upright, but that's not me. I haven't handled this season of transition well. I haven't handled this wilderness experience well. I don't know what that might look like for you, but, but we dwell on those spaces where we failed and we say, that's not me. I am exempt from the grace of God. So I read a commentator um, that put this so well. This is, I was studying and prepping for this. And he said, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he goes beyond this promise that God hasn't just done good to those who are good. He's done good to those who are bad. He has taken those who are bad and made them good through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And so let's reread this through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are those who are good? Well, listen, when you read Ephesians 2, we see that even when we were dead in our sin, God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven and transformed. We have been made good and holy by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to read these passages and promises with shame or fear or, or feel unworthy because we've been made worthy by Jesus. We are good and upright because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, not because of what we've done. And the beautiful thing about this rescue passage is this prayer that they're praying to God isn't, okay, God, you've given us a warning. We're gonna try really hard. The prayer is God, do good things to those that are good because we need you. God, we need you to do good things for us. You are our only hope. And he brings it back full circle from this call to trust in God to the means by which we're able to do that. How do we trust God? Well, God gives us faith. God gives us faith. How does God do good things for us, right? Well, let's be careful because unfortunately, sometimes these God's gonna do good things for you passages and in really weird places where all of us have a private jet, right? Um, or if you'll tithe $50, like I can guarantee you a 50% ROI on that, like for, forget Bitcoin, God's better. Like we don't wanna do that. So we need to handle this really well. So what does it mean that God's gonna do good things to those that are good? Well, we, we know the good thing that God has done. He saved us from our sins. He's given us eternal life. He's healed us from the brokenness that scarred our hearts. He's done that through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God has rescued us. And in the wilderness, he reminds us of that rescue and what it means for who we are. So how can we be stable in a storm. Well, Jesus said, right, if you build your house on a rock, it won't be moved because we have this eternal promise of goodness that isn't matched by anything outside of Jesus Christ. And so listen, that's how we can sing, right? That's how we can worship. That's how we can forgive other people is we've seen God do something good for us in Jesus Christ. It's already happened. And through our faith, we continue to live into that goodness as we grow in the likeness of Jesus. He makes us holy. He brings us into community. He teaches us who he is. And we mature in our understanding so that as we go through these periods, our suffering's not wasted, right? Our suffering actually makes us more like Jesus who suffered for us. And so listen, these good things that God does, they start with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our rescue. How can we be stable? We remember who he is and what he's done for us. In the wilderness, we have two options. We, we can say, God, it's not enough. I'm gonna do it my way. Or we remember who he is. We ask God to remind us and root us firmly in our identity as Christians. That's the start of it. And that's not to say that God doesn't bless us in hard places. God absolutely blesses us. He can bless us materially. He can bless us with circumstances. He can absolutely do that. He doesn't always, and we don't always understand how and when he'll bless us, but God will always do good things for us. It's just going to be an overflow of what happened with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is just a side note. Listen, one of the good things that God has done through the death and resurrection of Jesus is in the second half of Ephesians 2 is that he's actually made us one body. 
And so one of the aspects of church that I absolutely love is one of the ways that God does good things for his people is that he puts us in community just like we are in this room right now. And so we're actually agents of the goodness of God as a church. This is a side, this is for free. This isn't even like directly in the line here, but this is just an overflow of what God's done. Listen, one of the ways that God rescues his people is he puts people around them that love them. How does God give us good things? Well, he gives us people that help us. He gives us people that love us and remind us of who we are in Jesus. People that can encourage us, people that can actually come to us and say, hey, I'm concerned about you. There's some patterns here that are unhealthy. I think maybe we could talk about this. People that can bring us dinner, people that can help us do things that we need done, people that can help watch our kids. This community and every community in a local church is an overflow of the goodness of God. And so as a church, when we say you are loved, we actually live that out in how we reflect the love of God to the other people in this room. And so one of the most powerful ways that God does good for us is by putting other Christians in our lives. It's, it's more than an organizational definition. Spiritually, we are one body. And because of that, we experience the goodness of God when we do life together. And so listen, as we are in a, and I'm gonna be honest with you, even when this season of transition's over, there'll be another season of transition of a different kind. Because in some way, we're in a much larger season of transition as we are here waiting for eternity. We're kind of on a journey until that happens of sorts. And so we, we in some ways, never stop being in an in-between space until we're in eternity. And if it's not this one, it's gonna be the next one. As these challenges are cropping up and will crop up, we can find joy and peace and comfort in the promises of God, right? That we have this call that we're gonna continue to go back to. We're actually gonna do that right now as the team comes and gets ready to lead us in a time of response and communion. We have this call that reminds our hearts of who God is and what it means to trust him. Why do we trust God? Because we find stability in what can't be stolen. Because God protects us because he loves us, right? We have opportunities to confront that warning. Maybe there's spaces in our lives where we need to say, hey, I need to repent from this because I've kind of stretched my hand out and I've done some wickedness. And there's maybe some people I need to go to and make that riot or, or there's some confession I need to just get out there and walk away from this because it's killing me. I want it to stop. Um, man, maybe it's as simple as stepping into the rescue of Jesus Christ for the first time. Maybe you've never done that. And God's worked in you and spoken to you and he's made it really clear that Jesus is the rescue. That's it, man. That's God's provision is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Others of us need to reroute ourselves in the reality of that rescue. And we get to do that when we take communion. We are literally reminding ourselves in the way Jesus told us to worship him after he left of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we need to allow this time of communion to rest our hearts in that reality that we have been rescued, that we can be stable, that God is trustworthy. He has given us new life through his son. We tangibly can do that today. And so I don't know where you are with that, but as we have an opportunity to respond as a community, let's, let's boldly do that with a heart that trusts that God loves us and is for us and is continuing to move us into an understanding of what it means to follow him. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that as we sing songs on our journey towards you, that you don't let us do that by ourselves, that you're constantly reminding us of who you are, 
that you're constantly calling us out of the cheap idols that we chase that are destructive. God, thank you that you are a God who rescued us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Root our hearts in the confidence that we can go to you for everything that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.